0: Hello and welcome to Schweitzer. I'm Pastor Jason. We are so glad that you've joined us today. We've been in a sermon series on the Apostles' Creed. Today is Sunday number five, and we are set to go. If this is your first time being with us in worship, we want to welcome you. We're going to have a great time together. We're going to worship the Lord. We're going to hear from His Word. We're going to be challenged about how we can grow deeper in Christ. We'd encourage you to take a moment. Let us know that you're here. We've got a gift card that we would love to send to you. If you've been around Schweitzer for a while, if you'd like to grow deeper in your faith, we would encourage you to go to Schweitzer.church slash next. There you're going to find all kinds of ways where you can connect with Schweitzer. And if you'd like to have questions around today's sermon, they're there. Just scroll all the way to the bottom of the page. You'll find questions for today's sermon. And you can have great conversations around lunch, around your coffee table, around a table with friends later in the week but that's a great place for you to go, switzer.church slash next. Next up is Stephanie, and she's gonna tell us how we can connect with some things that are happening at Switzer this upcoming week.
1: Hi, I'm Stephanie. Last Sunday, we hosted our all-in gathering, giving people an opportunity to learn more about our church. As a part of that event, we invited attendees to become members of our church. And on February 20th, we'll be hosting New Member Sunday. If you would also like to be a part of this day and become a new member of the church, we'd love to have you. Find out more information by contacting Sheila Pippin. Ladies, if you haven't yet signed up for our women's brunch on Saturday, February 19th at 1130, now is the time. This is going to be a fantastic morning together as we enjoy a wonderful breakfast and an interactive activity on the Lord's Prayer. You can sign up and find out more at schweitzer.church slash women. In March, we are starting a new ministry at Schweitzer called Grief Share on Sunday afternoons. If you or someone you know is grieving the loss of a loved one, we invite you to participate in this 11-week study that will provide comfort, support, and encouragement along the way. You can find out more and sign up online at Church/GriefShare. One more thing. Later on, you'll be hearing more about what's going on with Schweitzer kids. But one thing we wanted to make sure that parents know about is our upcoming R&R night on February 25th at 630. This is a great opportunity for parents to have a night out and our Schweitzer kids to be refreshed and recharged. The event is free, but you do need to sign up ahead of time. Find out more online at Schweitzer.Church next. We are so happy that you're here with us this morning. Let's continue with worship.
0: Thanks, Stephanie. Now, if you're worshiping with us live, we encourage you to do a couple things. One, say hello. Wave to the people that are in the chat room. You'll see a little button down below where you can do that. And if you need prayer, there is somebody here that would love to pray for you. You can hit the prayer button, open up a chat window. Now, we're going to go into a time of worship. So let's... Invite the Lord to draw close to us, and we'll draw close to Him.
2: I dreamed of a city called glory. So bright and so
3: fair.
2: When I entered the gates, I cried, Holy.
0: Today friends, we're going to be hearing in the Apostles' Creed about the Ascension of Jesus. In Hebrews 8, we find these words. Here is the main point. We have a high priest who sat down in the place of honor beside the throne of the majestic God in heaven. There he ministers in the heavenly tabernacle, the true place of worship that was built by the Lord and not by human hands. The writer of this text is saying that Jesus has a very real activity today. That is, he's sitting at the right hand of God the Father, and he's interceding, he's praying for you and for me. He's carrying our prayers to the Father. Today, as we come to a time of prayer, I wanna invite you to think about the events of your past week, to think about the things that you've been concerned about, things you've been joyful for, the things that you've wanted to express to somebody. And I wanna take, I wanna invite you to so take all of those things and talk to Jesus if he's, if, as if he is your, your friend, as if he's your brother or your sister, and he is going to take those things that you've been passionate about, concerned about, and he's going to talk to the Father on your behalf. So let's enter into a time of praying to our friend, our great high priest, Jesus. Almighty God, whose blessed Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, ascended far above all heavens, that he might fill all things, mercifully give us faith to perceive that according to his promise, he abides with his church on earth, even to the end of the ages, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God in glory everlasting. Amen. And now we pray the prayer that Jesus taught us and continues to teach us to pray. When we say, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. A part of worship is taking our tithes and our offerings to the Lord. Today, as we prepare to do that as an act of, of praise and worship, Stephanie Taylor, our Kids Ministry Director, is gonna share with us some of the fantastic things that are happening in kids ministry. Let's take a listen.
4: Hey, everyone. I'm Stephanie Taylor, and I am the Director of Kids Ministry here at Schweitzer, and I want to share with you some things that we've been up to. In the fall, we launched a program for our 5th and 6th graders called Route 56, and the kids are loving it, so much so that we have gone to every week instead of every other week. This not only impacts kids within our church, but also our community, especially Liam. He is a sixth grader in our program, and he is just so excited and passionate about growing in his faith that he goes home and reads whole chapters of the Bible to his parents. This has now led to them as a family attending services here at Schweitzer. It is this kind of growth that we are so excited about. And your generosity and support are part of what make ministries like this happen. Wow, that was some
0: incredible news. Thanks, Stephanie. Thanks to you for your generosity too, because it helps make this ministry happen. You can go to Church/Give or give through the Church Center app. If you'd like to participate, you can also email Stephanie. Thanks so much for your involvement. And now I'd like to invite you to week five of the Apostles' Creed.
5: I believe in God, believe the, in Father God Almighty, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty.
6: Welcome today. My name is Spencer. I'm so glad that you've joined us for worship. Today is part five of the Apostles' Creed. The series we're on is we're looking at this basic confession of the Christian faith. That's what the Apostles' Creed is. It's it's what all Christians at all times and all places have have believed. It's the summary of the gospel. And So as we walk through the Apostles' Creed looking at this basic confession of faith, we're really just asking two questions as we go. Uh, What is it we believe and why? What do we believe and why? Now, this is part five. And so part five here, we've been for the last several weeks. We're going to be today on the middle section of the Apostles' Creed, which is all about Jesus. And so here's what the middle section of the Creed says. It says that we believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose from the dead, he ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty, and will come again to judge the living and the dead. So as we've unpacked this middle section, we've, we've done this last few weeks. We talked about his birth a couple weeks ago. Last week, we talked about his death and resurrection. And today, we're going to wrap this section up as we talk about his victorious return. And of course, what holds this whole section together is the first line of this middle section that's about Jesus, where we say that we believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. This is what we say And this this is what we're going to say about Jesus. I mean, if we're going to say anything about Jesus, we've got to start here, that, that we believe that Jesus is the Son of God. He is the Lord. He has always been God. He is fully God, fully man. That Jesus is the way of salvation because he is actually God. And so Jesus is not just some historical figure. He's not a religious leader. That's not just who he is. He's not just a moral teacher. He's actually God. This is why he matters. This is why we can trust him for salvation. And so today, as we, as we work our way through this, we're going to talk about his, his victorious return and, and the last three lines of this, uh, this part of the creed, where we're, specifically we're going to talk about how Jesus ascended into heaven, sits at the right hand of, the, of God the Father Almighty, and will come again to judge the living and the dead. So those are the three things we're going through today, that he ascended into heaven, that he sits at the right-hand throne of God. This is what he's doing now that he's in heaven. And then finally, his victorious return. That's what we're going to cover today. So as we talk, start this with the ascension of Jesus, let's go to Acts chapter one, because this is the clearest place in the Bible where we can read about the ascension of Jesus and why it matters. So Acts chapter one, here's how it goes. Verse one, it says, In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach. My former book is the book of Luke. Luke and Acts are meant to be read together, written by the same person. Luke tells the story of Jesus. Acts tells the story of the early church. So my former book, uh, I began to write about Jesus, all he began to do and teach. And then verse two, until the day he was taken up to heaven. We're talking about the ascension here. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit, to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. going to restore the kingdom to Israel, which I love this question because it's it's hilarious how much they miss the point of what Jesus is talking about here. Jesus is talking about being baptized in the Holy Spirit, the spiritual reality, and they come at him with this political question about, Jesus, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? This is a, a first century Jewish way of thinking about what the Messiah is going to be. This is this is essentially the question of, Jesus, are at this time, are you going to kick out the Romans and you, are you going to establish the kingdom of Israel to be free and independent again? Because for several generations, the Israelites have been, the Hebrew people have been ruled by, by the Romans. And before that, it was the Greeks. Before that, it was the Persians. Before that, it was the Babylonians. It's been centuries since they've been free. And so, and so Jesus comes and, and he's talking to them about what's coming to the kingdom of God, this spiritual reality of, of the, of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And they come with this political reality of, are you going to restore the kingdom? And it's like, talk about missing the point. And so Jesus, he, he hears this question that just misses the point altogether. And so verse seven, it says, he said to them, and he probably rolled his eyes as he did. He says, it's not for you to know the times or the dates the father has set by his own authority. Like you've missed the point of what I'm talking about. That's the wrong question. So instead he says this, verse eight, it's so, so important. If you're reading from your Bibles, you should underline this next line. It's so important. Verse eight says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria And to the ends of the earth. So, what are you going to do now that the Holy Spirit has come upon you? Well, you're going to go tell people. You're going to go share the good news of what what God has done, of what you have seen, about how Jesus is alive, about how He's changed your own life. And you're going to do this in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. It's like expanding circles of influence. You're going to you're going to spread this good news into the whole world. This is what you're going to do now. This is this is the work that I've given you to do. And then verse nine says, after he had said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sights. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? The same Jesus who's been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. And so here we have the ascension that Jesus has now gone back into heaven. He's with the Father. It's a nice story. And, and it's it's easy to, to read this story and to kind of think to yourself, well, why does this matter? Why is the ascension? Why is this crucial to the Christian faith? Why, why is this in the Apostles' Creed? Why does it make it in this summary of, of, the, of the Christian gospel, this basic confession of faith that we have? Why is this so important? And so I want you to notice uh, what it is, though, that Jesus does here in the, uh, in the ascension, or really, rather, what he, what he doesn't do. Because notice what Jesus doesn't do as he ascends back to heaven. Uh, he doesn't say goodbye. He doesn't say, you know, see you later. Good luck. Hope everything works out with you. No, 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 no. When Jesus goes up into heaven, he ascends into the fa- back to the Father. What he does is he entrusts his work to the church. He, he gives the church, the disciples, all of us, he gives us work to do. And the work is to be a witness, to share this good news. And so Jesus, he entrusts this to the church. He's like, this is the work that I've been doing. Now I want you to do it. And I'm going to go to the Father, but in the meantime, you're going to be doing this work. And so while Jesus has ascended to the Father and we wait for his return, we don't just sit by you know, idly, killing time, waiting for Jesus to show back up, playing Wordle and just killing time. No, 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 no. Our job now is to be a witness because Jesus has given us work to do. He's given us a job to do, which is actually his work, to continue his work to go into the world and to be a witness, and just as Jesus has given us work to us as the church, to those who belong to Jesus, well, He also has work to do. And so Jesus, He goes, He ascends to the heaven to, to be with the Father, and as He does this, He is also going to do work, as we say in the Apostles' Creed. As what He is doing now that He is in heaven is He is sitting at the right hand of the throne of, of God, the Father Almighty. He's sitting at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. This is what he's doing now that he's in heaven. But we're not to say that he's just like sitting by or sitting around at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. That's not what it means for him to sit there. No, 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 no. there is work that Jesus is doing while he is in heaven, until he returns, while he sits at the right hand of, of God, the Father Almighty. So let me show you in the Bible, what is it that Jesus is up to now? Because he's not just sitting back, killing time. What is he doing? So let's just look at a few places in the Bible. First uh, Peter chapter three, listen to this. This is talking about baptism. So it starts off with it, that is baptism. That's the context here. It saves you. And then by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who is gone into heaven and is at God's right hand. That's the, that's the line from the creed. He's gone into heaven. He's at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. So what is Jesus doing at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty? Well, he is ruling. He has these angels, powers, authorities, and submission to him. What it means to sit at the right hand of a king is that you rule alongside the king. And so Jesus is with the Father, ruling and reigning with the Father. Now there's more. Let's keep reading a few other examples here. Here's Acts chapter two. This is the day of Pentecost and the Holy Spirit's come on the church and Peter gives that great sermon. And and as Peter's giving that sermon, he talks about what Jesus is doing now. And so here's what Peter says. Acts 2.33, talking about Jesus, he says, Jesus is exalted to the right hand of God. To the right hand of God. That's the line. He's at the right hand of God. He has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out which you now see and hear. So what is Jesus doing at the right hand of the Father? He's pouring out the Holy Spirit onto the church. That's one of the things he's doing. He's ruling and reigning with the Father, and now he's pouring out the Holy Spirit, giving the the, the gift of the Holy Spirit to the church. That's what he's doing as well. Here's one more thing. Uh, Romans 8, 34, what is Jesus doing now that he's at the right hand of the Father? Well, here's one thing. It says, Jesus Christ who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God. God and is also, listen to this, interceding for us, praying for us. What is Jesus doing? He's ruling and reigning with the Father. He's he's pouring out the Holy Spirit upon the church. He's praying for us. This is the the kinds of things that he's doing now that he is at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. He didn't come and go there just to to sit back and wait. No, 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 no. He's, He's at work. He's at work helping us in our work, which is really just His work, like he's giving us what we need in order for us to be fruitful at the job, the work of being a witness that he's given us to do. Another way to think about it is like this. The reason why we can share the gospel, the reason why we can serve the poor, the reason why we can teach the next generation, the reason why we can care for the hurting, the reason why we can pray for the sick, right? The reason why we can do the work of the church is because Jesus is at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty, ruling and reigning with the Father, pouring out the Holy Spirit to the church, giving us what we need, interceding for us on our behalf, making sure that His work continues through us because this is what He's called us to do. This is what He's gifting us to do. This is where He's doing and how He's at work in our life now. And, and this truth is so incredibly crucial and it's also so easy to miss. It's so easy to, to forget that Jesus is at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. Recently, um, I read this article about the, the impact of the pandemic on the church in America. And the article is written, um, it's all doom and gloom. It's written by some researchers about how hard the pandemic has been on the church um, in America. How, how some, some researchers were suggesting that perhaps um, most or the average you know, evangelical kind of church is, is maybe declined by 30% uh, during the, the pandemic. Uh, some people are saying, some researchers are, researchers are saying that something like 40, maybe even more, 40% of pastors, maybe more of that, are out looking for other jobs and new fields because it's been so difficult. Um, there's some research that shows that that out of the ch- all the churches together, like 10% of American churchgoers have just stopped during the pandemic. Like they didn't move to online worship. They just stopped going to church altogether. And just like 10% is a huge number. And, and, and there's all kinds of questions and guesses about how many churches are going to close because of decreased attendance and decreased um, amount of finances. And you, and you read these kinds of things and it's, and it's very gloom. I mean, it's very glum. How, what, what's going to happen here to the, to the, to the church in America? This is really bad news. And, and you see this just decline and, and these kind of articles come my way on a fairly regular basis or, or a few years ago, I used to get a lot of articles. You see a lot of articles about um, the the challenge of the fastest growing faith group in America, which was the Nuns, N O N E S. Like people don't have faith, and I, I had a lot of people would send me these articles. Like, what do you think about this? I don't know why everyone would send me these bad articles about how bad things are getting. But it's it's easy to to kind of slip into some pessimism when it comes to the to the church and our future. Or or I think about how in just the last few years, last couple of years even. There's been incredible number of it seems like high level scandals that have hit the church from Ravi Zachariah to Bill Hybels to Mark Driscoll to John Orberg, like people I've respected and and listened to, and yet and yet these scandals have 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 ripped us, and it's easy to become cynical. Of the church. It's easy to, to, to slip into a pessimism or a, a cynicism uh, about the church and about what we're facing. And, and when we do this, we're forgetting a really central truth. When you slip into cynicism and pessimism about the church, you're forgetting that Jesus is at the right hand of God the Father Almighty that He's reigning and ruling with the Father, that He's pouring out the Holy Spirit on the church, that He's he's giving us what we need, that He's interceding for us. It's easy to slip into the pessimism and cynicism, especially when you go through seasons that are difficult. It's easy to, to slip into that sort of thinking. And I'll be honest, I mean, right now in the season we're in, it is incredibly difficult. I mean, there's, I don't think, I mean, I know I've never led through a, a more difficult season of, of church life than right now. And it's easy in those times to To slip into a a kind of pessimism and cynicism about our future and in the church. But but we have to be reminded and and remind ourselves of the truth that Jesus is at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. He's not sitting idly by. He's not just watching and waiting, you know, wishing us good luck, hope everything works out well for you. No, 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 no. This is his church. And so even when you look back at the, the history of the Christian movement, the history and church history, and you see how at different times of, especially different times of of difficulty in the history of the church, times of persecution, uh, times of maybe apostasy from some of the leaders, some of some times of reform that were difficult, God has always been with us. Jesus has always been on the throne, sitting at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, giving the church what we need. Like, there's no reason for us to slip into pessimism and cynicism when it comes to the church because Jesus is at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. This is His operation. Now this leads us to the last line of the creed because all of these things, they they really flow together. This work that He's given us in the ascension, the work that He's now doing on our behalf as He is in heaven, and and now this last line of the creed that we believe that He will return, He will come again to judge uh, the living and the dead, or as I learned it, the quick and the dead, which is a way more fun way to say this. But As we wait his return, doing his work, trusting in his leadership and his his authority and his his rule, we we do so as we wait that he is going to return. And what the Apostles' Creed puts it, though, it's not just that he's going to return. It's not just that he's coming again. It's that he's coming again to judge, to judge the living and the dead. And again, this is something that we see in Scripture. We see this return of Jesus spoken of all over the place in Scripture, I think about a few examples here. I think about um, Hebrews chapter 9, how this is described, this return of the Lord is described. Hebrews 9 says this, that Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many, and he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation for those who are awaiting him. We have this, this hope of his return. Matthew 24, another example, says, therefore, you must also be ready... For the Son of Man is coming in an hour you do not expect. Then that's a warning we hear a lot of places in the Bible, to be ready. 1 Thessalonians 5 says, You know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. You're not going to be able to predict it when it happens. Luke 12, Jesus says, You also must be ready because the Son of Man will come in an hour when you do not expect Him. Uh, Revelation 22 says, Look, this is Jesus speaking, I'm coming soon. My reward is with me and I will give to each person according to what they have done. There is a, a consistent uh, message that we see in the New Testament about the return of Jesus. That, that he's not left us on our own, but that he will come and that he will return. And, and the warning we see through scripture is that we need to be ready. He's gonna come as a thief in the night. We can't put off being ready. We need to be ready for his return because he is coming. We don't know when, we just have to be ready. And of course, though, his return is not just that he's coming, but he's also coming, as we said earlier, to judge, to judge the living and the dead. Acts chapter 10 uh, says it like this, says, he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. He is coming to judge. And of course, that raises all kinds of questions. That raises all kinds of of thoughts and concerns that we got to talk through just, just a little bit here. And we could talk about the judgment of God, the judgment of Jesus for a long time. Oh my gosh, we could go deep into that question. But today, as we as we do this, let's let's think about this judgment question in, in kind of some big terms. And there's two big things that we need to be thinking about as we consider uh, the judgment of God that that the Apostles' Creed speaks about. And, and the first concern is really uncomfortable. Actually, they're both concerns are pretty uncomfortable. The first concern is pretty uncomfortable because it's it's a it's a concern that has led some people away from Christian faith altogether. Because as we say this that we believe that Jesus is gonna to come to judge the living and the dead, that pretty much immediately raises a question of, well, does that mean that we believe that God is gonna send people to hell? Does, does that mean that we believe that God is going to come to judge and to condemn people? Do, do we, is, that, is that what we believe? And, 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 and that question often uh, is followed up by another question very quickly where people will wonder, well, well, how in the world could a loving God ever condemn someone? How in the world could a, could a loving God judge the world? How, how could that happen? And, and this is the, a question that has led some people away from faith in Christ because this, this question of how could a loving God judge someone is, is very troubling. So how, I don't know how you answer that, but we need to have an answer for that kind of question. How could a loving God ever judge someone? How could a loving God condemn someone? And I don't know how you would answer that, but I'll tell you how I've answered that in the past. And, you know, my answer to that question has been usually to ask another question because my follow-up question to this, how could a loving God judge the world is, well, how could a loving God not judge the world? I mean, if we believe that God is just, that he's going to make all things right, How could he not judge the sin that we live in? How could he not judge the violence, the oppression, the abuse? How could he not judge how we've hurt people and stepped on people and and abused people? How could he not judge this? Like If God is just going to sweep it under the rug and not address this sort of thing, well, that's not a loving God. That's not a just God. That's not a God worth believing in that he could just walk away and not address the problems that our world has been plagued by because of because of sinful humanity. This is one reason why I, I could never be a universalist, which which that term means like we believe in a universal salvation, that everyone just goes to heaven in the end. Like I can't get there. Like, like there's a maybe some people put it like a giant cosmic arm that God's gonna sweep everyone into heaven. Like I can't get there because there's a logical problem to it because we need God to come and judge. We need God to come and address the things that are wrong. One of the ways I've, I found it helpful to think about this, this question, though, of, of eternal judgment is through the lens of some writing by C.S. Lewis. And uh, C.S. Lewis has this way of putting it. I, I found it to be really helpful. This might be new to you, but let me, let me share with you just a little bit of what C.S. Lewis writes. And he, he says this. He says, um, there are only two kinds of people in the end. Those who say to God, thy will be done. In other words, those who submit their life to God. And those to whom God says in the end, thy will be done. In other words, those whom God says, okay, you've made your choices. And then he says this. I think this is so interesting. It might be a new way of thinking for you, but here's what C.S. Lewis says next. He says, all that are in hell, choose it. Without that self-choice, there could be no hell. No soul that seriously and constantly desires joy will ever miss it. Those who seek, find. Those who knock is open. In other words, um, in the end, we all get what we've chosen. We all get what we've really wanted, whether we've chosen to submit our lives to follow the Lord or chosen not to. And, and, and this is where I find this to be so helpful is thinking about this is that there are many of us whose whole life we have been living in opposition to God. So why in the world would we think that in the end, we would want to live in the one place where God's rule and reign is forever, that is heaven. And and so if we've lived our whole lives in opposition to God, it, it makes sense that what the judgment of God is, is allowing us to live into our choices, to allowing us to live into the choices that we've been making our whole life, whether to reject him or to receive him. And of course, the reason we have that choice to begin with, to reject him or to receive him, is because of what he's done for us that he's already judged the sin in sinful humanity. He's already done this by sending his own son to, to pay the price and to bear this within his own body on the cross. I mean, the reason why we can turn to God and not have to fear hell is because of what Jesus has already done for us in bearing the cost for himself and so therefore we can receive him and we can receive salvation and pardon and we can receive a future that is filled with life and God's will for us. Now there's a second part though to this judgment question we also have to wrestle with because as the Bible talks about judgment it's not just this judgment between heaven and hell. There's also a, an accountability that's given to us that we need to consider at the same time, I think about the story that Jesus tells. us in Matthew twenty-five. It's about a a rich master who goes away on a journey, and he he gives his estate to be managed by three different servants. To one servant, he gives different amounts, and one of the servants that he gives some of the estate to, he entrusts his work to. Um, he takes the the amount that he's been given and he buries it in the ground. Um, and and when the master comes home and he sees what the what the servant has done with what he's been entrusted with, you know what the master says. He says, you wicked and lazy servant. That's what he says to him. The other two servants, though, they took what was given to them, what was entrusted to them, and they were able to invest it and use it. And now they brought a return back to their master. And the master said to them, well done, good and faithful servant. Come and share your master's happiness. And there's this warning we see. We see in the story, we see in other places as well, that there's there's an accountability to our lives that when we stand before our maker, there's an accountability to how have we used our lives for the purposes that God has given us. This work of being a witness in the world that he's entrusted to us, that he's helping us from heaven. Like how have we lived into this? And I, I don't know about you, but when I am face to face with my maker, I don't want to have to stand back and shuffle my feet and put my hands in my pocket because I'm ashamed that I haven't used my life, that I've wasted my life. I've wasted my gifts, my opportunities to, to serve God, to, to live into God's plan for the world and what He wants to do through me. I, I want to stand proudly before Him because I, I know that I've used my opportunities, my gifts, my relationships to further His kingdom and to be a witness. But the truth is, you know what? To be a witness, it's scary. Uh, it's it's difficult. Sometimes it comes with, status, with sacrifice. It's 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 a kind of lifestyle that that requires things of us. And it's much easier to maybe be distracted and chase after other things than it is to live the kind of life that is focused on being a witness. And yet, this is the work that Jesus has done, has, has given to us, that we might be His witness. And we're going to be held accountable for that kind of life. So so let's not let's not live in fear. Let's not waste our gifts. Let's not waste our opportunities. Let's, let's not uh, just take the easy road, but we'll choose sacrifice and service to God's purpose so that when we stand before our maker, we hear those words, well done, good and faithful servants. Come and share your master's happiness. You see, we confess that we believe that Jesus ascended into heaven, that he's given us work to do, his work. And now he sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. He's not sitting idly by, but rather he's, in, he's helping us. He's pouring out the Holy Spirit into our lives. He's giving us what we need. He's interceding for us on our behalf. And we also believe that he will return. He will come to judge the living and the dead. And so therefore we get ready. We don't put it off. We don't wait for tomorrow. We become ready today for his return. Today, as we close, we're going to close as we have in the last few weeks, and um, we're going to say a prayer together, and then I, I'm going to invite you, if you would, to, to say with me the words of the Apostles' Creed as we confess this, this Christian message, this basic confession of faith that all Christians at all times at all places have believed. Let's pray together. And so, Father, today, uh, we want to be ready. We confess and we know that you are coming, uh, that, that you're Uh, reigning and ruling even now and we want to submit our lives to you to not waste them and so for some of us uh, we need to 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 be aware that maybe we're chasing after things that are that are not your will for us we're we're living in fear we're wasting our gifts our opportunities the 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 time that we have before us that to be a witness and instead we're living for ourselves or or we're just taking the easy way God God we want to be faithful because we want to be ready or maybe there's some of us who, who we need to be ready it means that we need to come to faith in Christ. We need to confess you today that you are our Savior, that you are the one who has borne the, the judgment for himself on, on, on you. And that we want to come to you and find hope and life in you. And so God, today, we come to you with a simple prayer of Lord Jesus, would you forgive me my sin? And would you lead my life? Because we know that you are coming and your victorious return where you will judge the living and the dead. And so, God, today, would you come and show us mercy and grace that we might be able to turn towards you to be ready. In the name of Jesus, our Savior, we pray today. Amen. Let's join together with the words of the Apostles' Creed. As we say, I believe in God the Father Almighty, the Maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose from the dead, he ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty and will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the
0: body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Thanks for joining us in worship today. We hope you were blessed and encouraged. We hope you found a way to grow deeper in your faith and that this next week is going to be a fantastic week where you find the presence and the power and the help of Christ working in your life. A big thank you today to the Stephanies who jumped in and shared with us some stuff. A big thanks to the worship team who led us in some worship. A big thanks to Spencer for that sermon on, on the ascension of Jesus and what that means for us, how we can Have access to the Father and how Jesus helped us. If you know somebody that would be encouraged by this this worship experience, we encourage you to take a moment and send it through social media to a friend, a buddy, somebody who needs to hear it. We look forward to seeing you and being with you next week as we have week number six coming up. It's going to be awesome. We'll see you then.
2: That's great. (laughs) That'll be great. That's
0: totally goofy. Uh